Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for championship weekend in college football. And we have got four guests on today's show to help me do exactly that. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where Eric Crocker from the Locked On NFL Draft podcast is going to join to talk about some of the top defensive backs in this year's draft. Croc is a former NFL DB, and so he's going to share his expertise on the position and discuss how some of the top players in this class project to the next level. After that, we've got Scouting Report, where Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl stopped by to break down one of the most explosive skill players in this draft, and uh, this guy's got some great bloodline, so we'll get into this player and what he brings to the table in Scouting Report before we transition to Saturday Scouting, where we start our look ahead to the big weekend in college football with Ben Fennel. We've got top matchups to watch. We've got a mock draft from Dane Brugler we're going to dig into, and more all-star game acceptance news, and also one of the top underclassmen declaring for the draft officially. We're going to cover all that in Saturday Scouting. Before we wrap things up with pick six, Ross Tucker and I are going to preview the big championship games for this weekend as our weekly competition gets closer and closer and closer to its end. It's a very tight race. One of us separated here uh, this past weekend in rivalry week, so we'll get into that there at the end of the show. As always, make sure you go onto our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a review, make sure you throw us a subscription if you're not already. Get this podcast sent to your podcast device every week, twice weekly from now through the NFL Draft in April. That said, let's get this thing rolling. I'm excited to catch up with Croc here in Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. All right, well, this week here on Mr. Relevant, really excited to welcome back to the show Eric Crocker, former pro defensive back or the host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. You could follow him. Excellent, excellent defensive back breakdowns over at on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Croc, welcome back to the show, man. Oh, man, thanks for having me. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into some of these top blue chip names uh, at the top of this secondary group. And we'll start uh, at the cornerback spot with Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on Stingley and also how you feel like he compares to some of the other top corners that have come out in recent years. Uh, we haven't seen him on the back end of this year. He missed a chunk of last year as well. Uh, but what have you seen from Stingley over the course of his career? Yeah, I think with him, the, the one negative has been like, you know, just like the injury things and the different things that have caused him to miss time. You know, he had a terrific uh, freshman season, you know, one of the better freshman seasons we've seen in recent years. Yep. Another guy that kind of had a similar freshman season, I believe, was uh, Greedy Williams and, you know, from the same school. So you see some of these guys at LSU, they're getting coached up early on. They're terrific athletes and you see them put it together, especially from a technical standpoint uh, when it comes to Derek Stingley. But there were some things that were concerning, and I don't know if it was because of the injuries, and that's what a lot of people were telling me, but just saw him get beat maybe a little bit too much, you know, as far as what I would like to see. I remember in Devontae Smith, terrific receiver. I mean, he was a guy who I had as wide receiver one in that class. But Devontae Smith, like, he had his way with Stingley. Whatever he wanted to do, he was going to do it. And not just one year where he probably had, I don't know, 150 receiving yards on Stingley specifically, right. but the following year as well, where, you know, he caught touchdown passes on them and things like that. So uh, Stingley, we'll, we'll, we'll see when it comes to, to him. I, I think he's going to test well. He's a terrific athlete, but the injuries were a little concerning and then maybe how he performed against the best. But I do think he, he's definitely a talented corner. Not sure. And as I get deeper in my evaluations, I'll know for sure 
kind of really where I stand with him. But I'm not sure he's exactly what everybody else thinks he is. Hmm. It's interesting because I was kind of thinking about him and just how the narrative has kind of changed on him. I think the narrative is a little bit different, but I think when you look at the, the total package of uh, Marshawn Lattimore, when he was coming out of, out of Ohio State, uh, he was just a redshirt sophomore and he was kind of, uh, he was much lesser known. I mean, like you said, Stingley came on and was an All-American as a true freshman. So everybody knew who he was. He was the best player on that national championship defense. That wasn't necessarily the case with Lattimore. His star kind of rose late in that final year and his red shirt sophomore year uh, in Columbus, but it was like, oh, you know, he was dealing with some of those hamstring injuries, some of those soft tissue yeah. stuff, and uh, he was an inconsistent tackler in the run game. Well, then it became one of those things like, hey, maybe we were like overthinking it, and Marshawn Lattimore has turned into a really good corner uh, in the NFL. I kind of wonder if that'll be the case uh, with Stingley, because I feel like we will kind of pick him apart for some of the things that you you rightfully noted about him as uh, the inconsistencies, uh, whether it's against the run or against some of the top receivers on his schedule. Yeah, I, I definitely think now we we maybe oh, overthink things at times. I did it last year with Jamar Chase. Not in the sense of thinking right. that he wouldn't be a terrific receiver, but just pointing out certain things where it's like, man, he loses like this, like just far too much. And I think we're seeing some of that right now. He has, what, four straight games, less than 50 yards receiving in each one. But you still can see, well, he wins this way and he does it at a really high level. And I think we should look at Stingley in that same you know way where terrific athlete, he has a technique, you know, don't let the recent injuries and things kind of cloud you of what type of prospect this guy is. So, again, it is going to be something that we dive into a little bit more. But, you know, first round corner for sure. Is he that top three guy in, the, in, the, in this draft that people think? I, I'm not sure if he's that yet. Yeah, there's all the, all those kind of discussions we have around the blue chip players. Michael Parsons would be another one. You could probably say the same thing about with the, the discussion around him uh, coming out of Penn State. Uh, let's transition to another player in this class. I'm interested to get your thoughts here on safety Kyle Hamilton uh, from Notre Dame, another guy that's uh, figuring to be in the top 10, potentially top five of this NFL draft. How do you view Hamilton and his transition to the league? Yeah, you know, from what I've seen from him so far, he's one of my favorite guys. You know, he... he it, it's one thing to have range and you're looking for that from your safeties, especially in today's day and age where everything is just so wide open in the passing game. But this is a guy I'm watching the game and he's the, he's a too high safety to the far side. And somehow he gets on his horse, screams all the way across the field and makes like a diving interception while toe tapping, keeping his feet in balance. I'm like, wow, that's some crazy range. Who is this guy? You know, and I just started locked on the NFL draft show. So, you know, I, I, I haven't been one to really like follow prospects as freshmen. So unless we're just seeing them on a national stage a whole lot, but Hamilton, I wasn't really quite sure who he was until that play started to look into him. 6'4", 220 pounds, and not just the range in which he can cover, which I think he does a terrific job of doing that, but range in the run game too. And I think that's something that we don't really think about too much. But again, saw him playing a too high safety is fourth and two. He screams down and ends up making a tackle for a loss in the backfield and the running back. That's just things that you just don't see. So he's someone who, you know, if you're talking about drafting a defensive back in the top 10, because of his versatility in the run game, in the pass game, and the range, and the size, and the athleticism, and he's kind of a unicorn. Like, there aren't going to be a lot of Kyle Hamiltons that come out. And if you're a team that has missed on this type of safety by not drafting a Minka Fitzpatrick, by not drafting a Derwin James, this is your time to be able to make up on it, make up for it with drafting a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who I think has big time potential and upside. 
And I love what you said about the run game too, because watching him and it was funny. Uh, I had just studied a couple games from him from earlier this season, the same week the Eagles were preparing to play the chargers. And so I was studying Derwin James that same week. And uh, Derwin James, one of the things I harped on with him as the Eagles were getting ready to play the chargers was that he's a guy who's an equalizer from a number standpoint. If you are a team that runs uh, a lot of RPOs where you're doing like box counts and uh, trying to leverage to the strength of the formation, you say, Oh, well, you know, the, the, the defense has uh, two over two on that side. We're going to throw the bubble or, hey, they have a, a, a five-man box or a six-man box. We're going to run against this as the safety's playing from depth. Well, those numbers change fast when you've got Derwin James uh, coming right. from the backside or coming from depth. And Kyle Hamilton is one of those guys. He, he can be that kind of equalizer for a defense. Yeah, and, and that's going to be exciting for any team because it allows you to just do more, you know, disguise things better. Or just kind of trust him to, to kind of freelance a little bit more. But again, he has showed the ability to really be a playmaker. So I'm not going to hold you to this, or maybe I will. But I want to ask you, when comparing Stingley and Hamilton, who do you feel is the better prospect right now? And if you were a team and the, and the, the, the need was equal uh, for your roster, you, you had to need a corner, you had to need a safety, uh, how would you view trying to draft between those two players? All right, so my, my philosophy has changed over the last few years. <laughs> with drafting certain positions really high, all right? Receiver, it started with them where I look at receivers and you're able to just manufacture production so much that I would not draft a wide receiver in the top 10. Now, I would draft a Kyle Pitts in the top 10 who's a tight end because again, he's a unicorn, 6'6", 245, 50 pounds. And it's hard, you can't just, you don't find guys with that type of ability, that type of athleticism and be able to just manufacture production for him. But- you can do it with receivers. I'm starting to have that same thought process with cornerbacks. Unless he, it's just a corner who's far and away one of the freakiest guys coming out from a height, weight, speed standpoint, from an ability standpoint. I'm not really taking a corner in the top 10 unless I really have to, and it would have to be later in that top 10. But when it comes to a guy like Kyle Hampton, who's a safety, and if you look at the way that the NFL is going, it's getting harder and harder to cover in the NFL. And even if you have a guy like a Derek Stingley, let's say he just hypothetically speaking becomes like a shutdown corner. Well, with the way they're calling pass interferences, with the way you're able to just attack the other side of the field uh, and the way they're able to do things, I would go more with a safety that can cover up different guys' flaws, that has more range, that you can't really just, you know, you can't just go away from a safety, right? You know, you see... A guy like Kyle Hamilton with his range, he's affecting the game in the passing game and in the running game. You know, he can disguise his coverage to start off at a two high, sink down, rob some crossers, or he could be a single high and run sideline to sideline. That type of ability makes him, to me, more desirable. So I'd actually lean more towards a safety than a corner, which most people, I think they think it would be the opposite. But again, today's day and age, the way the game is kind of going, so wide open, so easy to manufacture uh, touches or get guys in space, but it's hard to stay away from a safety with his type of ability. I love it. That's a, a really interesting topic that I'm sure we will be t touching on here uh, over the next few months. Once again, uh, talking about this cornerback class, we talked about Stingley, obviously, uh, but there's a lot of corners that a lot of people are really high on. I'm interested to see if there's a guy that, uh, that you've studied that you be think belongs in that upper tier of other corners in this class. Yeah. Well, obviously I'm still, you know, starting to really get into diving into the film and collecting all, all 22 right now, but there are a couple guys that really kind of, are very intriguing to me. One is Roger McCray. All right, he's a guy who I watched a lot of uh, really two years ago now. Okay. Was it Jamar Chase's uh, sophomore, true sophomore year? Yeah, over 19, yep. 
Yeah, and and how he just challenged himself from the standpoint of covering a guy like Jamar Chase and what it looked like. And I'm really big on what does it look like against the top talent? Do you look overmatched? Do you look overwhelmed? Even if you give give up a play. So there were times in that game he got beat down the sideline by Jamar Chase, but he was there in position to potentially make a play on the ball. Obviously, Jamar Chase, another elite type of talent, he made the play. But there were other times where he did challenge him and got an interception that same game. The way that he was physical with Jamar Chase at the line of scrimmage and throughout routes, he broke up a couple passes. I just thought that's big time ability. So I've been keeping an eye on him. And he consistently is a guy who jumps out to me as someone who he really makes you work, really makes you work throughout routes and no matter who you are. Now, as we're talking right now, it's December 1st. Alabama just played Auburn, and he gave up the game-winning touchdown to Michi. He got beat on that uh, kind of whip route. But overall, what I'm seeing with McCurry, and I don't know how much everybody else is going to like him, but I love corners who consistently challenge receivers, yep. and he's one of them. I think so. And one of the things I love about him too is that I feel like he checks a lot of boxes and maybe you look at him and at the end of the day, you know, we get to uh, late February, early March and it's the combine. And I don't know if Roger McCreary's got that like a plus physical trait, but man, like he'll play uh, press. He'll play off. He'll play man. He'll play zone. He can, he can attack the ball. He's competitive in all phases. He defends the run. Like, I, I don't know what the what he can't do. It's just a matter of like what's the A tray. I'll take a guy like McCreary uh, all day. And I, so I'm really glad uh, that he's a guy that really stood out to you. Same question, but let's go over to the safeties class. Is there a safety that you studied that uh, really stands out to you in their projection to the NFL? Oh, yeah. So I, I haven't like di- done any deep dives on them just yet, but the kid from Michigan, I'm blanking on his name right now. Daxon but Hill. I, I, yeah, Daxon Hill. So yeah. I've watched, uh, I watched a couple of games, uh, games of him just to kind of get an idea of like what he is and what he does. And um, we did this for the Locked On NFL Draft Show. I believe it was before Michigan played. Was it Michigan State? I think it was the Michigan Ooh. State game. I, was, I listened to that. Yeah. Yep. So, so, yeah, so we watched him. And he's another guy who, again, I think he has plus ability. There are some people that think he could potentially be like a Jalen Ramsey type guy that, okay, he starts out as a safety, but maybe mm-hmm. there's some corner in him or maybe some nickel. You see right now. The Rams using uh, Ramsey as more of a, a star type guy, and they're thinking this guy has that type of ability. Talking about Daxton Hill, we'll see. I haven't dove down and dove in enough to see exactly if he has that type of ability, but I know that's how people are talking about him. He's definitely from the games I have seen, though, has shown terrific range ability to affect the game again, not just in the passing game, but in the running game as well. So he's somebody that I definitely will be keeping an eye on. Sounds like he has that elite type prospect upside. I just have to see if the film matches what everybody's saying about him. Interesting. Well, we'll be uh, following up with you uh, after you get a little bit more work in there on Daxton Hill. And then last question for you, is there a guy that we haven't hit on yet that you feel um, that you're like, yeah, like I've watched enough of this guy. I feel really good about him and his projection uh, to the league that maybe you're just not hearing like a lot of buzz on. Well, I think people are starting to hear some buzz about this guy and he had a little bit of buzz coming into this year, but sauce Gardner from Cincinnati cornerback. I mean, that's a tall, long corner, about six, two, 6'3", you know, close to 200 pounds. He's he's built, like, lean. But, you know, just to watch him from off coverage, that's the first thing that I pay attention to. Like, how do you how do you cover from off? And what type of, you know, uh, versatility do you have with your coverages? So I thought he looked good from off. Obviously more comfortable at the line of scrimmage, especially when you have a corner that's as long as him. But, again, another guy who definitely challenges guys throughout routes. He, he runs a little kind of fun. He's like a little long-legged with how he runs. But again, hasn't I haven't seen any issues with running versi- ver- uh, uh, vertically with receivers down the field. I think heading into the season, a lot of people are really higher on like Kobe Bryant, 
the cornerback on the other side. Yeah. I think Sauce Gardner has kind of turned into being like the guy and the better prospect coming out of Cincinnati. So he's one guy. Another guy, Caleb Evans, uh, he's a guy who was at Tulsa. Yep. And played well there. Ended up, you know, his defensive back coach transferred or transferred, got, you know, left and went to Missouri. Uh, Caleb Evans and the corner on the other side, they both uh, followed their defensive back coach to Missouri. And Caleb Evans, I think he's a guy that people are going to, you know, start to hear more about him. Again, another tall, long corner uh, press ability at Tulsa. They did a lot of, you know, off coverage. And he was so he's good with like quarters and things like that. But um, obviously, like you know, able to play, you know, physical at the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, being challenged week in and week out in the SEC, as opposed to the conference that Tulsa plays in, I think he's somebody that is going to, you know, as as this process goes on, is going to start to get a little bit more love. And a few of these guys we've talked about so far, I think Evans, uh, I believe Sauce Gardner, and uh, I believe McCray as well, we might get a chance to see these guys at the Senior Bowl. Yep. So that's the time. I know I saw, definitely I saw McCray get his invite. McCray's there and Evan, Evan, Evans is going down there as well. Yeah. So excited to be able to really get to see these guys in person and see what they look like against other, and just in an isolated situation. One-on-ones, what do you look like? How does your technique look? How do you compete? But that's going to be really exciting to see for all these guys. And maybe guys like Evans, that you might hear the stock type uh, kind of rise for him, like it did for guys like, uh, you know, Keith Taylor last year coming yeah. out of Washington. That's a great call. It's funny because you, you mentioned when you were talking about uh, Sauce Gardner, how the first thing you look for is how do they play from off? I thought Evans, I, he's listed 6'2", 198. So everybody, I think, is going to immediately say, oh, press corner, press corner, press corner. He is awesome from depth. Like, I thought his route recognition skills uh, in off yeah. coverage were so, so good. Uh, watching him at Mizzou this year, I was really impressed with him. And he's got the ability to play the ball in the air. The production has not been there, um, but his, okay. uh, he's got a feel for, like, his look and lean downfield and uh, being able to time everything. I I thought everything was really good um, from that respect. So uh, I'm excited to see what that kid looks like down in Mobile. I agree. Like Keith Taylor uh, was kind of in that same bucket as, you know, he's a big corner. He's played a little bit. What did he look like in Washington? The production wasn't always there. Then he went down and had a great week at the senior bowl and the buzz built. Uh, that's a great call. I feel like Evans could be in that bucket too. Yeah. And, and there are a few other guys. I mean, Trent McDuffie from Washington, mm. uh, you know, Kyrie Elam from Florida, Josh Job, Alabama. I mean, there are a lot. Jermaine Waller, he's the guy that is potentially a sleeper coming out of Virginia Tech. That I've seen him do a lot of really good things. So these are guys, next time we talk, probably, let's say, in, come February, I'll have some detailed notes on all of these guys and really be able to dive into more of where they are and kind of where they stack up, especially heading into the uh, uh, the combine time. So I I'm excited to watch all these guys. If you can't tell it's that time, man, it's draft season. No question. And it's, uh, you know, we will be hitting you up to come back on the show and go through these defensive backs. Croc, thanks so much for joining us here. Once again, on the journey of the draft podcast, make sure you go check out the locked on NFL draft podcast. Uh, Croc, we will talk to you later, man. All right. Thanks for having me. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, please be joined once again here on Scouting Report by the Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the Shrine Bowl, my friend Eric Galco. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Galco. Eric, welcome back to the show, man. Appreciate it, friend. Well, let's get into uh, one of the more dynamic skill players in this draft, and that's Georgia running back James Cook, younger brother of Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Is that how he first kind of popped on your radar? I know, uh, you know, when he got to Georgia, there was obviously a, a lot of excitement because of the relation to Dalvin. Uh, your thoughts are, are really kind of get your uh, your experience on when you first kind of became aware of James Cook. 
Yeah, certainly knowing it's his brother and seeing him as, uh, I think, a freshman at Georgia 2018. They're freshman, redshirt freshman. But you see the last name, you Google it. Is that Dalvin's brother? Because he kind of runs like him, and he is. And he's been working in a rotation at Georgia, which for a lot of schools would maybe be concerning for a running back. But at Georgia, they've had two running backs go in the top 35 picks before. So you kind of always watch the Georgia running backs. But I think the way he's played and really the thing that caught my attention early on in his career as a pass catcher. And in today's NFL, if you can't be a pass catcher and a dynamic player in the tackle box, then your odds of going in the early part of the draft are very low. And James showed that right away in 2018, and he showed that his whole entire career. And even as Georgia has had more running back competition and have a platoon system, he is consistently one of, if not their clear best, pass catching running back as well as a dynamic player as well. Well, let's get into kind of the, the nitty gritty of the scouting report here on James Cook, because uh, obviously you mentioned the, the impact he can have through the air. Uh, how do you see him impacting the game as a runner as well? Yeah, I think he's a very complete running back. I think as a pass blocker, he stands to get better, but I think he, he showed enough over the last two seasons when he has pass blocking reps to get better there. And as a pass catcher, as you mentioned, that's kind of really his strength for NFL teams right now. A lot of his receptions this year have been kind of quote receptions on sweeps and uh, and toss plays and kind right. of quick screen outs, but you show such natural hands, ability to transition up the field that that's going to be his real strength. Almost like Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, where we didn't see the pass catching ability all the time, but we knew he could do it. I think James has shown enough that he can do that at a very high level in the NFL right away. But then as a runner, so fluid, so explosive as he works on the perimeter, he can do outside zone and get up field. He can work inside, stay, stay tight and work up field very well. He can make guys miss in the open field. He's obviously a bigger running back as well. I think he's a bit more fluid and elusive than his brother was coming out of college. Um, and I think he has a lot of athletic traits that maybe Dalvin didn't always show at Florida State. And I think James really has. So I'm not saying James is going to be better than Dalvin Cook, but I think James is really one of the best running back prospects in this draft class. The best running back in his backfield, in my opinion, is Amir White, another talented running back. But I think James is legitimately one of the more athletic and one of the more dynamic running backs in the entire 2022 draft class. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, playing in that platoon, he's got plenty of tread uh, on the tires. Uh, yeah. When you look at what is his overall like draft value could be uh, moving forward into the NFL, how, how do you kind of view that for him next spring? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that James Cook does is he gets first downs for his team all the time as a pass catcher, as a runner, and being dynamic as a pass catcher, being a guy who's a really a big play threat and can finish outside-inside runs, those guys don't last very long on draft weekend. And, and I would say the first round is probably unlikely for maybe any running back in this year's draft class, but I think he's firmly a guy that, hey, he could be, a at the very least, a high-end rotational player, if not a clear starter for us. We view him as a future clear starter in the NFL with his dynamic talent, and I think he goes somewhere on day two of the draft. He'll be one of the more interesting running back prospects because you'll see his stats compared to the other top running backs in this class, both seniors underclassmen, and you'll wonder how does James stack up, and then you'll watch him at an all-star game or at the Combine and realize that, oh, wow, he's different than his brother, but could be a similarly talented NFL player. I think he goes somewhere in the top 100 picks for sure, and maybe early to mid part of day two of the draft. I was just going to, I was glad you mentioned that part of the pre-draft process. I was going to ask you when, uh, for a guy like James Cook, who comes from a platoon and, you know, wasn't a full-time back, what can the, the all-star game process do for him uh, and his draft stock as he gets ready for uh, the combine and interviews and everything along that line? Yeah, I mean, for, for running back with his skill set, I think dominating those one-on-one -on -one opportunities and coverage as a route runner is going to be really impressive, right? For how I watch, I watch running backs is I'll watch their pass blocking snaps first, and can they do it? Yes, no. I think James is kind of a work in progress there. But as a pass catcher, it's an absolute yes, great route runner, great hands catcher. And if you just have that skill set in today's NFL, we talked about Tyler Beatty a long time ago. He has that skill set. You're going to play in the NFL and be drafted. 
almost assuredly, if you can run in the tackle box and pass catch at that level, you'll play in the NFL. And I think for James, the fact that he can be so explosive as an inside and outside runner, that's why he's going to go so early in the draft. Yeah, he's uh, and he's got some serious juice uh, to be able to go with that versatility. Uh, Eric, once again, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Fred. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's get into some of the breaking news here as I welcome in Ben Fennell for uh, our Saturday scouting. We'll start off with Draft Buzz with some All-Star Game announcements. We're going to get here to the Shrine Bowl, Ben. We focused a lot on the Senior Bowl early this week. Let's get into some big names here from the Shrine Bowl that will be held out in Las Vegas, Nevada at the end of or at the beginning of February. Ben, uh, kick us off here with running back Calvin Turner, Hawaii. Yeah, and I think uh, the positional designation was the most interesting yeah. thing with Calvin Turner, a guy that's played slot receiver, wing back, fullback, tight end. He's been a former quarterback, as he was at uh, University of Jacksonville before he arrived at Hawaii, but a really fun all-purpose player. He's a returner. He's got good hands. He's a playmaker with the ball in his hands. He's going to be a really fun presence down there. Think like a Debo Samuel, just not quite as thick and rocked up, but really that type of player. Yeah, I comped him when I watched him in, earlier in the fall. I kind of, uh, compared him to Jarek McKinnon when he was coming out of Georgia Southern, uh, that former quarterback, running back, wide receiver hybrid, uh, really interesting skill set. Uh, I'll get to talk about West Virginia running back Letty Brown, who's actually a Philly native, uh, went to uh, high school right around the corner from where I'm at right now at Newman Goretti. But Letty Brown at West Virginia – He's got really good zone feel. I, I really like the way that he executes their zone schemes. No special athletic traits, but I think he checks a lot of boxes, especially when you get to third down. Solid pass catcher. He chips in as a blocker. Does a little bit of everything. So, Letty Brown, good opportunity for him going out to Las Vegas. Ben, give us your thoughts here on Javon Hiley, uh, the speedster from Coastal Carolina at wide receiver. Yeah, this Coastal Carolina football team's got a lot of good players on both sides of the ball, but Javon Hiley has been on the receiving end of a lot of deep passes from uh, Grayson McCall. This guy's got speed and pretty good size at about 6'2", 205. He can win deep. Think about like a Josh Palmer last year with Tennessee and his presence now with the Los Angeles Chargers. Really good size, good hands, can win deep, productive player. So I'm going to go with uh, Tay Martin, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State. You can check him out this weekend here in the Big 12 title game. And when you look at Tay Martin, uh, he is a transfer from Washington State. Had a, had solid production up there with the Cougars, but came down to Oklahoma State for his final season uh, and has been a huge playmaker for them in that offense. They are likely not where they are today if they don't have Tay Martin as a part of that offensive attack. So uh, Tay Martin looking to continue uh, that success out in Vegas at the Shrine Bowl. Let's get now to Christian Watson, a guy we've covered a little bit here on the show from North Dakota State. Yeah, he was on the receiving end of a lot of Trey Lance passes back in 2019, that national championship season. Remember, Trey Lance sat out in 2020. Uh, But uh, Christian Watson, the big thing, Fran, I want to see is what is he going to measure in at? He's a guy on his North Dakota bios, but 6'3", then 6'4", now listed at 6'5". I want to get the official height there, but he's a guy that's been incredibly productive, 90 career catches, averaging over 20 per catch. So he's a big play threat that can get down the field with really good hands. If he is 6'5", 208, like he's listed, 
maybe that next tier of a Drake London type of player with really good presence and can win above the rim. And a guy that's chipped in on returns as well. So uh, it's yep. rare that you see the, those 6'3", six, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, receivers chipping in as punt returners. But uh, that's what Christian Watson has it's done. It's also, also rare to grow three inches in your college career. But it has happened in the past. We'll, we'll hold out for the officials. Who knows uh, what they're feeding them out in Fargo. And we'll, we'll keep it going here with the Bison. Uh, with offensive tackle Cordell Volson, who uh, has got some buzz going into this year. I think when you look at Volson, kind of like what I was saying with Letty Brown, I don't think he's got like one A trait to his game. But his versatility, uh, that is something he can hang his hat on. He has started games at three of five offensive line spots, both tackle spots and offensive guard. So I think that that will serve him really well moving forward. And I thought I really kind of liked his well-rounded game. I mean, he, he'll get after you in the run game a little bit. He's not a liability in pass pro. Uh, I thought his hands were pretty good. So I, I liked Volson. He was a guy I thought uh, could end up really at either all-star game, uh, Shrine Ball or Senior Bowl. So good get there uh, for the Shrine Bowl. Let's go down to George Moore from Oregon. Yeah, he's an interesting player as well. So he spent time at right tackle, mostly left tackle for Oregon, and actually slid inside for the first time in his career, has been starting at left guard the past few games for Oregon. The big thing with him, he's experienced, obviously, but he's a much older prospect. He spent some time at JUCO, plus five years of college football. He's 25 years old currently. He's a guy that's a veteran, should be able to come in right away to an NFL locker room and contribute but obviously the age factor in combination with his prospect profile but versatile guy for the Oregon and had most of that offensive line down at O-line masterminds in the mm. summer so a guy that are pretty technically sound and uh, a guy that certainly uh, you know concerned about the details of the craft. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about uh, the buzz with him from, you know, just kind of talking with people is that that move to guard was really beneficial for him uh, down the stretch, as you mentioned. Let's go to Bryce Hoffman from Georgia, or from Virginia Tech, who has been the starting center down there for the Hokies the last couple of years. He actually transferred from Coastal Carolina early in his career. He was a starter there at guard. So, again, kind of what we're talking about with – George Moore uh, with Cordell Volson. We've talked about it so much here on this podcast, Ben, is that that versatility along the offensive line, so, so important for guys moving on to the NFL, whether you're viewed as a starter or as a backup, that versatility uh, can really, really be beneficial for you. And Hoffman was another one down at O-line masterminds. Remember, Lasita Smith, his left guard, yep. playing a lot of good ball. Remember last year, Christian Darisaw? Yep. That Virginia Tech offensive line opened up a lot of holes for Khalil Herbert and some of those guys in the backfield. Really good offensive line. And Hoffman, he's got kind of a nasty edge to him, too. Mm -hmm. Looks for work, likes to finish guys out there. All right, take us through uh, Jatire Carter from Southern. A really interesting kind of high upside prospect here. So I had him on my list purely because Jordan Reed profiled him in the summer. I think he was his number five prospect in the HBCU uh, rankings that he's been doing now in the summers, which I love. He's kind of a light-footed mauler, really good zone blocker. And that Southern football team, they have a really good rushing attack. Year after year, leading that conference, the SWAC, I believe, uh, in rushing and yards per game. I think he shut down the conference player of the year as well from Florida A&M. I'm blanking on his name, that linebacker, but uh, he's put on some really good tape. He's kind of a light-footed mauler out there. So let's go uh, to the defensive side of the football. And the three sec three secondary members we're going to hit on. Montaric Brown from Arkansas. I actually studied him alongside Jalen Catalan, the star safety there for the Razorbacks. And Brown, uh, he stood out to me because of his instincts, whether it was in zone or man. I thought that he had a really good feel for route concepts and route breaks and also the ability, the ability to make plays on the football. The production wasn't always there, but when he was tested, I think that he showed the ability to make plays on the ball. Uh, he's made some outstanding plays here this season. So Montaric Brown uh, from Arkansas heading – to the Shrine Bowl. Uh, I'll come to you now for Sam Houston State corner, Zion McCullough. 
All right, three things to mention here, Fran. 6'4", 195. That's a 6'4", 195-pound corner. So we're talking of an extremely tall, long player. Ran an official 4-4-0 in high school. So he's got the speed. In this production, Fran, it's tough to top. He's got 13 career interceptions, 53 PBUs. I think four out of his five years at uh, Sam Houston, he has three interceptions. He's an absolute ball hawk out there. Just a little bit awkward in that 6-4 frame, but he's going to be a really fun player to watch down there. So one of the more interesting names, I don't know if you've done a profile yet on Pittsburgh State corner Dallas Flowers. All right, he's 6'2", 190 pounds. I knew nothing about this kid before he accepted the East-West invite. So he's been at four schools. He was at Pittsburgh State this past year. Before that, he was at Grandview University in 2019. Before that, he was at Robert Morris, and he started his career at Tiffin. Wherever he's been, he has been a explosive, dynamic return specialist, kick return and punt return. Uh, so there's like talk, oh, maybe he'll get some looks on the offensive side of the football as well. But at 6'2", 190, a corner uh, with those explosive traits, that's the guy I just, I'm excited to see him in person and just see what he's got. And obviously the, the background is very, very uh, That's bizarre. He played for Robert Morris, which is right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right. And now playing for Pittsburgh state, Pittsburgh, which Kansas. is not in Pennsylvania. No. It's in Kansas. And <laughs> yeah. I don't think I fired up that tape since uh, John, John Brown. Brown came out of there a few years ago, third round yeah. pick. Yeah, it's a, uh, a really unique journey, like I said. So uh, Dallas Flowers, the last guy we'll cover from the Shrine Bowl. Let's get a, a handful of Senior Bowl acceptances that have happened over the course of this week. I want to come to you for Velas Jones, Velas Jones, the wide receiver from Tennessee. Yeah, he's a fun player. Don't forget, this is a USC transfer. It was a hot recruit, got on the field immediately out there. He's an excellent kick returner, maybe one of the best returners in in the country, if it wasn't for Marcus Jones out there at Houston, it'd probably be Velvis Jones uh, in his prolific career. But he's got a rocked up frame, kind of a slot receiver, gadget player. They'll give him handoffs in the backfield. He's a good blocker out there on the perimeter. I think he's going to be a really good pro. And another guy that's in that six foot, 200 pound frame where he's got enough size, speed, explosiveness, toughness. He checks a lot of boxes. Really interesting athlete. Don't forget, though, USC transfer over to the SEC the past two years. Let's go over to uh, the defensive side of the football. Boye Mafe from Minnesota, edge rusher, uh, a guy that I've been on for a couple of years now. He's explosive, really kind of uh, still kind of raw and underdeveloped as a rusher, but he's got traits for days. And I know there are some scouts out there that are really high on what this kid could be down the road. So Boye Mafe uh, from Minnesota, not the only Minnesota defensive lineman, because I know uh, you also have done some work here on Asesi Otome. I'm still working on the last name here. Otomewo. Mm -hmm. Uh, thoughts here on uh, on what as Sezi brings to uh, the senior ball. Well, just collective thoughts. This Minnesota Gophers defense has been pumping players out to the NFL pretty routinely over the past few years. Obviously, they uh, highlight with Antoine Winfield Jr., but a whole lot of linebackers and stuff, secondary members. And now the uh, defensive line seems like it's their turn with Boye Mafe and then Otto. Help me out. Otomowewo. Otomowewo. Yeah. yeah, I'm still working. I haven't done him yet, so I haven't gotten the pronunciation. All I know about this kid, Fran, is he needs a nickname, and I need to find out what it is. <laughs> but anyways, just for fans out there, he, I think he's a spinning image of Deo Dangbo out of Vanderbilt last year, who mm. unfortunately, two days before his senior bowl, uh, tore his Achilles, is now slowly getting his way back with Indianapolis Colts. This is a tall, long, athletic trench player that can be an edge rusher, a three-tech. He'll line up in zero and some sub-packages. He's kind of this long, oozing ball of clay of athleticism. He's an oversized athlete in the trenches. Do what you want with him. If he's out there practicing, singing one-on-ones he's going to have some really fun reps 
Yeah, Mario Goodrich, uh, the corner from Clemson, the last guy we're going to hit on here. He's heading to the senior bowl. This is a guy with size. He's got some ball skills to him. He's been productive over the last couple of years, a two-year starter. Uh, and we know that Clemson, uh, the history that they've got in terms of turning out uh, talent at the cornerback position. It uh, looks like uh, Goodrich next in line there because I did do a little bit more work uh, on him moving forward. Let's now get to some more underclassmen news. We're starting to get more of those uh, coming across the wire. Big news here on Wednesday night going into Thursday. Texas A&M defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal making his intentions official. He is now entering the NFL draft. So uh, DeMarvin Leal, a guy that's been in a lot of mock drafts, top 10, top 12, making his uh, intentions known here, Ben. Yeah, you know, he's maybe not the flashiest player. He doesn't have yep. a great first step. He's not the loosest, most flexible guy that's going to hunt quarterbacks. But he's going to be a first-round player because he's tough, three-down player with positional flexibility. So if you just put your brain into a Cam Jordan-style player and the way he plays for the Saints, up and down the line, good run defender, he'll rush the passer in an efficient sense. But he's not this explosive you know, quarterback killer, but he's a really good, well-rounded player. I think DeMarvin Leal and a Cam Jordan are a perfect type of uh, projected. I, I wrote down Michael Brockers as well as kind of like that. And, and Brockers had that a little bit of a hybrid skill set, uh, similar kind of body type. Uh, interesting player. And I think has that ability to be an NFL starter. I think when you talk about what the upside is, uh, that'll be interesting there uh, with yeah. DeMar. Brock, yeah. And that's probably a Brockers out of LSU, if I had to imagine. Yes, correct. He put, he put on a considerable amount of weight to play nose tackle for the Rams yep. uh, once, once they converted their scheme out there. But exactly. yeah, LSU, definitely more of a versatile player. Yep, no doubt. Uh, other big news, obviously, uh, Brian Kelly uh, to LSU. This all happened uh, on Monday after we had recorded Journey to the Draft. So I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on uh, Brian Kelly going to LSU, what that means, because right? we had this conversation when it came to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley and how that impacts both the Sooners and USC. We have that same kind of discussion with Brian Kelly uh, leaving Notre Dame, going to LSU. Are there underclassmen with the Irish that could enter the draft? Are there guys from LSU that could decide they want to stay put? I think it's a little bit uh, more can uh, it's a little bit more of a difficult conversation on the LSU end because they've had a bunch of guys already leave, like go into the portal. They've had a bunch of players, you know, Eli Ricks, uh, the talented corner we had talked about in the past. He's already in the portal. There are a bunch of guys on both sides. They've got uh, offensive linemen that are graduating in droves, so uh, they're going to be really shallow up front. Uh, but interested to kind of get your thoughts on how this impacts both sides of the coin. Well, I'm really interested to see how this affects the young blue chippers yeah. the guys that aren't eligible for this class. So we're talking like tight end Michael Mayer at Notre Dame. Yep. What does he want to do? Is he going to stay put for the new regime at LSU? You already talked about some young guys like Eli Ricks. I'd already announced he's transferring. In fact, already announced what schools he's interested in. What about BJ Ojolari and Keishon Boutte? are kind of top 50 projected players in next year's class will they be willing to stay put for a new regime and does this mean some of these Notre Dame guys that are juniors do they flee a year early just because the program's kind of disbanding for lack yeah. of better words so you know Kyron Williams he's a junior at running back edge rusher Isaiah Foskey is interesting yeah. a lot of people aren't talking about offensive tackle Josh Love who's been there every day, right tackle this year. Actually had two starts at center last year in place of Patterson down the stretch of the season. But we know Notre Dame offensive linemen are kind of a fast track to the NFL. So Josh Lugg's been playing really good ball, but he's only a redshirt junior. So I just want to know if this kind of triggers them to maybe make that jump a year early. Yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting decisions for everybody. And, and all reports are pointing to it looks like it's going to be Marcus Freeman staying put at Notre Dame. So maybe some of that continuity will keep those guys uh, in the building. But that kind of upheaval, uh, you know, definitely 
kind of rattles the cages a little bit and, and makes you kind of yeah. wonder, what do I want to do? Every player kind of has that decision moving And forward. it could go the other way. If they, you know, I know the players were kind of pounding the table for uh, Marcus Freeman to stay. Yep. Does that maybe make Isaiah Foskey say, yeah, our guy's here. He's yep. going to stay for us. I'm going to stay for him type sure. of thing, which Isaiah Foskey right now is kind of a fringe top hundred player. Does he want to stay and improve that to a top 50 or, you know, maybe head out to the NFL a year early? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting decisions across the board. Something we'll follow here over the next few weeks as dominoes continue to fall uh, with this coaching carousel. Let's now go to uh, this weekend in college football, Ben. Rivalry week is in the rearview mirror. <laughs> I'll uh, have you say that 10 times fast. That's over with, but we now have arrived at championship Saturday uh, in college football. Only a handful of games, but there's some great matchups for all of us to watch. Starting Friday night with the Pac-12 title, moving forward uh, here into Saturday. Interested to get your thoughts on a one-on-one battle you are most excited to see well i'm taking this all over the place for a second we have some really fun conference championships baylor oklahoma state right fran high-powered offenses there's some really good defenders yeah so oklahoma state watch malcolm rodriguez at linebacker nickel safety colby harvell peel really fun player baylor we've talked about jalen petrie all the time terrell bernard i think is heading to the senior bowl when you're watching that big 12 championship game Watch the defensive guys. I think this is more of a defensive battle than anything. Really want to see if Malcolm Rodriguez can shut down those Baylor running backs. My other thing, Fran, Houston, Cincinnati, really fun game. This is a huge opportunity for some Houston defenders, in my opinion, because if they go and upset Cincy, put that blemish on their record, maybe knock them out of the playoff, huge platform for them. So that's Logan Hall, defensive tackle. I want to see him show up and be on the back of Desmond Ritter early and often in that game. And Houston has a true freshman running back, Alton McCaskill, has 16 touchdowns. He's going to go up against a lot of veteran Cincy defenders like Darian Beavers, Brian Cook, a lot of senior bowl guys we had talked about, Majay Sanders. So really fun game out there. Houston, Cincinnati Bearcats, I think middle of the day on Saturday, really fun conference championship. I'm going to get my thoughts on that uh, that AAC title uh, a little bit later in the show. Uh, I will go from the a group of five title game to uh, the SEC title. I'm going to go Georgia-Alabama, and there are matchups all across the field, as you would expect. I'm going to look in the trenches here. This Alabama offensive line, Evan Neal, good test against this Georgia defensive front. He's going to see a bunch of bodies. We know they do full hockey line changes there with the Bulldogs, but – would love to see how the matchups there between he and Trayvon Walker, the, the versatile defensive lineman. Uh, that is going to be a lot of fun watching those two guys going back, whether it's watching it on Saturday or wa- going back and watching it on tape, maybe just as fun a little bit later. Uh, but Evan Neal against Trayvon Walker is going to be a, a fun one to watch. Yeah, yeah, there's matchups all over the place. I literally started to pull up that roster and then said, you know what, I'm not even going there. There's too many. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's go now to our most to gain. Who's a player uh, that could really benefit from a strong performance this week? And I went a little bit outside the box with this one because, uh, look, Kayvon Thibodeau coming in was almost the consensus number one player in this class. And I don't want to say that that shine has worn off because when healthy, he's been a disruptive player for the Ducks. Uh, when he's been out there, he battled an injury early on in the season. So he missed that game against Ohio State. And that's why. I think this is a big stage for him. Uh, We've seen some buzz about Aiden Hutchinson, and maybe he goes number one overall. Is he the number one prospect in this class? He had that huge performance last week in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State, where, you know, what did he have, like 15 pressures, according to PFF, in that one game, just a ridiculous Mm -hmm. performance. Kayvon Thibodeau, if he comes out in the Pac-12 title against Utah in the rematch, the Utes upset the Ducks uh, just a few weeks ago. If he can come out and have a huge performance, dominate this game, 
that would be huge for his ability to say, yeah, okay, I missed Ohio State, but here's me dominating uh, in the Pac-12 title game on a big stage. I think that would be big for Thibodeau. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, he's already put up a lot of really good tape uh, in his career. Most of the boxes are checked, in my opinion. I want to go over to the Big Ten. Maybe not the championship game. We all had expected it's Iowa, Michigan. What happened last week, Fran, Hassan Haskins tore through that Buckeyes defense. Well, this is a huge opportunity for some Iowa defenders. How about Bruce Feldman's number one breakout candidate this year, Jack Campbell at linebacker? You stuff Hassan Haskins a couple times this weekend and really improve your stock and kind of launch yourself into more national name. And they have a really interesting kind of outside linebacker, Fran, Justin Jacobs. He's 6'4", 240, redshirt sophomore, all sorts of athleticism, explosiveness, length. I want to see him make a couple big plays in the alley and maybe get to the backfield. So Jack Campbell, Justin Jacobs, put your face into Hassan Haskins and that Michigan O-line this week, get an upset, and maybe improve your uh, draft stock. I like it. Well, let's get into some uh, player comps here, and I'll come to you first. Who's an NFL comparison you've got for a prospect that's taking the field here this weekend? Well, I did a lot of studies on Darian Beavers over the weekend, big hulking linebacker for Cincinnati. I didn't know if I wanted to call him a Derek Barnes from last year, maybe a Koa Misi, bit of a throwback. Reminds me a lot of a KJ Wright, too. He is just an oversized off-ball guy that can play Sam when he hits ball carriers the buck stops there type of deal. He's one of those guys that's a little heavier than you would want, but he's got really good foot speed. He plays with a really good attitude. Um, And I'm excited to see him down in Mobile practice there with all those Bearcats heading to Jim Nagy's uh, senior bowl. So I'm going to go with one uh, of another guy heading to Mobile for the senior bowl, and that's quarterback Kenny Pickett. And uh, the comp that has been thrown around a lot with him, and we talked about it here on the show a couple of times, has been Joe Burrow. And it's that's a lofty comparison, right? Because this was a guy that uh, set all kinds of records, was the number one overall pick just two seasons ago, coming out of LSU, undefeated season, national title. Uh, so it's a it's a loose comparison. But I think when you look at play style, when you look at pocket management and ball placement, the ability to create, Pickett's got a lot of those same qualities uh, that Joe Burrow had. He's just doing it on a different kind of stage, right? And so uh, we'll get a chance to see Kenny Pickett going up against Wake Forest, the previously undefeated uh, Demon Deeks. So we'll see a, a really interesting match up there in the ACC. Good stage here for Pickett, who's had some big wins here on the resume for this season. Him going and beating Wake Forest here in the the ACC title, I think would be really big for that resume, continuing to build on that. And it's it's a comp that's Really interesting because uh, Dane Brugler in his latest mock draft, he actually had Kenny Pickett going to the Carolina Panthers, who's the Panthers offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, who coached Joe Burrow at LSU, right? So uh, just kind of an interesting connection there with this mock draft. And with that, let's transition into our mock draft roundup. We are going to take a look at uh, our guy Dane's mock draft which just dropped over on The Athletic this week. Make sure you go check that out. Uh, the Eagles having three first-round picks. We're going to cover those uh, here in this discussion. But we're going to start things off with our most surprising pick here in the top 15. And, Ben, I'll come to you first. What, which pick in the top half of this mock draft surprised you most when you went through the mock? couple shocking picks there uh, from time to time. Firstly, the number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, which yep. you haven't been seeing a whole lot. I think we would start there with the conversation. Uh, mostly he's been Kayvon Thibodeau as the first overall pick projected, but great to see Aiden Hutchinson here. And I think the conversation will swirl a little bit over the next couple of months. I think Thibodeau, all intents and purposes, will be the number one pick when it's all said and done, barring some sort of trade up for a quarterback. I think it will be Thibodeau, but the conversation of Hutchinson in this conversation is just starting. My other one, just side note, 
Andrew Booth, 12th overall to the Minnesota Vikings, going back to the first round corner well after Mike Hilton and Jeff Gladney didn't work out. I think that's a little bit high for Booth, in my opinion, but he's a guy I know the NFL is very high on. I think that would be interesting, too, because, you know, it, initially Mike Zimmer was always associated with like the bigger corners. And then it was starting to swing the other way with some of those guys you just mentioned. They were on the smaller side. So this would signal, all right, we're going back towards the bigger, longer corners uh, on the perimeter with Andrew Booth. That's, I, think that's- I remember Zimmer taking, you know, the Denard kid out of Michigan State yeah. and Trey Waynes and even Wayne, like Mac yeah. Alexander. I think Xavier Rhodes. I was a bigger corner. Yeah, yep. Xavier Rhodes and uh, William Jackson. It might have. Yep. I don't know if he was still there in Cincinnati or not, but anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of how he has trended has been those bigger corners until uh, recently they've been going back towards uh, the smaller guys. So uh, for me, it was number six overall, the New York Giants. Uh, they had two picks there. They took uh, the center, Tyler Linderbaum, and they also took linebacker Devin Lloyd at six overall. Uh, that is by far the highest I've seen Devin Lloyd. Dane was just on the pod earlier this week raving about Devin Lloyd. So we know how he feels. I know how you feel about Devin Lloyd. You're really, really high uh, on the, the Utah Ute out there. We'll see him in this Pac-12 title game against the Oregon Ducks. Just the, that, that was just shocking to me to see like, oh, Devin Lloyd, like six overall. Uh, you know, that, that would be extremely high for him, um, you know, in this in this draft. And uh, look, and Dane actually made the point. He said, look, the Giants are in the same division as the Dallas Cowboys with Micah Parsons. You're seeing the impact that he's had uh, and, you know, with what he can do as a pass rusher. You've talked about that spin move that Devin Lloyd had a few weeks ago against the Ducks uh, where he lined up as a defensive end. So offering that same kind of positional versatility, that same level of athleticism. Uh, but it would that would be a really interesting uh, rise there for Devin Lloyd. So, like I said, he was the pick at number six. The Eagles made their first pick in this mock draft at number eight, and that pick by Dane was Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. Here's the, the blurb here from Dane. Based on talent, Hamilton is one of the best this draft class has to offer, but his draft projection is going to be interesting because not every team will value his hybrid skill set. With his athletic range and diagnosed skills, Hamilton frustrates quarterbacks because of the different ways he impacts the game. He has missed the second half of Notre Dame season due to a minor knee injury, so the medical evaluations will be important as well. So, Ben, we've talked a little bit about Kyle Hamilton. We know like uh, what the, what the kind of player he is. Thoughts on him here in Philadelphia in this Eagles defense? Yeah, I think uh, I think any defensive back room would be excited to get a Kyle Hamilton. Just a matter of for what draft capital, the eighth overall pick for Hamilton, I think, is a steal, and especially for a versatile back end defense that allows you to play kind of high low safeties and some quarter schemes and some split safeties. I think he fits all those boxes. And we're kind of starting to turn over the safety room here in Philadelphia. Now that we've moved on from Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod's a couple years older, we went to the free agency well in Anthony Harris. I think they're ready to kind of inflict and uh, instill some youth into this group. And I think Kyle Hamilton would be a great start. All right, well, let's go to the very next pick. The Eagles picking at nine overall, select a defensive end. They get Purdue edge rusher George Karlaftis, and here's the blurb from Dane. So with Derek Barnett likely headed elsewhere in free agency, Brandon Graham coming off an injury and about to turn 34, the Eagles will be looking for pass rusher help this offseason. Karlaftis might not have the elite length or twitch, but his persistent power and skilled handwork allow him to be disruptive. Uh, I'm a big fan of George Karlaftis, just like I'm a big fan of Kyle Hamilton. So, Ben, uh, Karlaftis is a guy that would really really, really excite me. I do think that this is the value we're talking about with him uh, on the back end of the, the top 10, maybe the early parts of the top 15. Uh, but thoughts there on Carl Laftis there at number nine. 
Yeah, I think he'd be a really good player. He's a strong run defender. He's a three-down player. Uh, would be almost like the Ryan Kerrigan flag coming down in the NFL and George Karlaftis flag going up, swapping out those elite Purdue edge rushers. But, you know, he may not have a lot of length or a lot of twitch, but I'm watching a guy like Trey Hendrickson, you know, destroy sure. the NFL over the last two years. Not only with the Saints last year, took some money in free agency. That doesn't always work out. Huge year for the Bengals. I got news for you. He doesn't have a whole lot of length. He doesn't have a whole lot of twitch. How does he win, Fran? Relentless, effort, strong, motor, every down player. And I think that's what you're getting, Carl Aftis. It's the same thing Ryan Kerrigan did for the first you know, decade of his career uh, coming out of the same school. No, out of no Purdue. question. Uh, oh, ask, ask our own Lee Johnson. He, I think yeah. he's more than uh, happy to have Ryan Kerrigan in our, our locker room. Right, exactly. Let's go now to the third pick. It's a few picks later, 14 overall. This is the pick from the Colts uh, that ends up in Philadelphia. Linebacker Nicobe Dean from Georgia. And here's the blurb from Dane. He says, I know, I know the Eagles don't draft linebackers in the first round, or at least they have not since 1979. But maybe Jonathan Vilma 2.0 can change their minds. Dean is an athletic pursuit player and a blitzer with excellent diagnose skills to key and attack. His football character will make him an immediate fit wherever he is drafted in April. And, and Ben, that last point I think is very uh, important for Nicobe Dean and his stock in that, uh, and he's not the first person to report this, uh, Daniel Jeremiah had mentioned on his podcast over on Move the Sticks that he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink out there uh, with that Georgia defense. He's the flag carrier. He's the guy. I think that certainly will carry weight at that position. Yeah, absolutely. He's a really exciting player. Uh, whether you want to call him a Jonathan Vilma and Ernie Sims, I think more than worthy of a first round pick, just like those two guys previously were. And it's interesting to go with three defenders and kind of each level of the defense here. Kyle Hamilton on the back end, yeah. Carl Laptis in the trenches and Kobe Dean on the second level. Level. I know a lot of Eagles fans out there have been wanting some new talent in the defensive scheme and at each level here, three pretty exciting players. Yeah, and it just speaks to the opportunity the Eagles have at their disposal here uh, in this upcoming draft. Uh, now, let's get to a, a couple other uh, questions here about this mock draft. And look, we just got past uh, Black Friday. We just had Cyber Monday this week with Thanksgiving a week ago. Uh, so people are out there over the last week looking for deals. They're looking for bargains. So I want to ask you, who got the best bargain? Who got the steal of round one in your mind? Well, I think if the Tennessee Titans can walk away with Jamison Williams with the 27th overall pick to get my wide receiver one at the 27th overall pick, Ooh. that's a steal, that's a steal right there. Ice so if he's somehow hard. available at 27, you walk up to the podium with a ski mask on because that's highway robbery. I like it. I'm actually going to go uh, same conference and a guy that uh, saw Jamison Williams a week ago in the iron bowl. And that's Roger McCreary, the corner from Auburn falls to number 32 to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I think that uh, McCreary, we look, we talked about him earlier in the show uh, with croc. I am a big fan of Roger McCreary. Uh, I think that he checks a ton of boxes at the cornerback spot getting him at 32 maybe that is where he ends up going maybe maybe that is where he ends up going but guess what uh i don't care i, I think he's going to be a really good player Tredavious white went towards the back end of round one as well uh, and he's turned into one of the best corners in the league i think mccreary uh checks a lot of boxes at the cornerback position last question for you here ben uh people are starting to think about the uh the, the work pollyannas and the gift swapping and so uh the exchanging of gifts and i thought okay if you could swap one player-for-player player trade here in round one between two teams, you're sitting here, you're the puppet master, who do you like? Well, what would the trade be and why? Well, let's stick with some skill players here. And I see the Patriots taking Chris Olave from Ohio State and a little bit earlier with the Lions taking Traylon Burks. Well, let's flip-flop those mm. because I'd love to see Traylon Burks in that Patriots offense more of a yards after catch kind of RPO play action with all those kind of quick perimeter screens. 
And then the Lions, I think, need more of a well-rounded three-level receiver like Olave into that offense. I don't think Traylon Burks is going to be that three-level threat in the NFL. I think he's going to be more of a possession guy and a yards-after-catch threat. Uh, so Olave, Traylon Burks, let's switch their homes. I like it. I, I like the fit on both ends. I, I do like uh, Traylon Burks fit in Detroit as well, but I do like the fit in New England. I, look, Burks is going to fit uh, for a lot of teams because <laughs> right. of his skill set. Uh, I'm actually going to stay at that position in the same kind of area of the draft. The Chiefs, they take Drake London in this mock draft at number 26. Right after them, the, the pick you mentioned earlier, the Titans take Jamison Williams from Alabama at 27. Let's flip-flop that. Because I look at the Kansas City Chiefs and I say, okay, yeah, they do, you know, maybe you, you want them to have some size on offense, especially at the receiver position, but they don't draft guys that uh, are speed deficient. They want guys that can run. And I look at Jamison Williams, he's got all kinds of juice. I think when you look at uh, the way that they've selected players over the last few years, they really have been plucking guys from the Southeast. So, you know, Jamison Williams, I think, checks a lot of those boxes. And then you go to Tennessee and say, all right, well, uh, look, we are a height, weight, speed operation. We're looking for guys with size, especially the way we want to play, run first. Drake London, I think, makes a lot of sense. So I think you could swap those two. I think both teams are plenty happy. Uh, Jamison Williams for Drake London, uh, who says no? Yeah, I would love that. And really quick, Fran, as we're entering conference championship weekend into the playoffs, what do these games and opportunities do just for the general aesthetic of prospects? Mm. And if you think back to our own Devonta Smith and what he did in the SEC championship game, the two playoff games, is there more weight to these performances down the stretch? If Jameson Williams goes out and puts up a 200-yard game, three touchdowns against this Georgia Bulldogs defense, is that a higher-weighted performance as we get down to these higher-caliber higher games? So I have asked coaches this. I have asked scouts this. I have asked decision-makers this question. And just to cut you off really fast, because yeah. a little bit's like it, is it the recency thing? Well, that's the last thing we saw, so that's the last thing we think of. Uh, yeah, I think that, that there's some of that. I just think that, you know, it's funny because everybody answers that question differently. <clears throat> and so I think that that's kind of the reality of it is that for some teams, the, Hey, the guys that make plays in big games, that is going to carry weight with a coach or with a general manager or with uh, an area scout giving out a grade. Right. And so I think when you're looking at uh, how guys perform in these big moments, that's why like what Aiden Hutchinson did last week against Ohio state, that's going to be talked about in every single room for the next, uh, you know, for what is the next six months, right? That is going to be a big topic of conversation, what he did against Petit and like, Pair, and against friends, like not saying it influenced or not, but then the next two days later, you know, our own Dane Brugler mocks him first overall. Yeah. You know, is it like that kind of trajectory where it's like, okay, big time performance against Ohio State. I feel good about that pick now. Yep. because of that recent performance. No, I think so. I, I think that that does certainly, especially from a from a buzz standpoint, uh, to your point, I think that that definitely uh, is a factor. But no question that for, for some people out there, they will say the first thing they'll do is say, all right, well, what did he do against the, the, best, the best competition? What did he do in rivalry games? What did he do in conference title games and bowl games? Those are the things, those are the performances uh, that could be kingmakers uh, for prospects at that at specific positions, especially. So uh, great discussion and something we'll keep an eye out for here as we move into this week. Again, conference championships all weekend long. And to continue breaking those down, let's join uh, Ross Tucker here for some pick six. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, time to wrap the show up with pick six as I welcome in my friend Ross Tucker. And I really shouldn't say my friend because he picked up four points on me uh, in our yearly, weekly competition here uh, in pick six. Uh, I got the win by picking the Kentucky Wildcats over Louisville. Ross, you got me on the Caleb Williams touchdowns, the over-under we set at three and a half. He picked up three last weekend against Oklahoma State. So you get the point there. You took Oregon winning big over Oregon State. You got a win there. And then you hit on your upset North Texas upsetting UTSA. The undefeated Roadrunners go down at the hands of North Texas. You called that one. You pick up four points on me. I need uh, a lot of wins here this week to uh, make this a close one. I love it, man. I love this. You know what's funny? I didn't remember some of these other ones. You know, I just remembered Kentucky against Louisville, and I was like, oh, gosh, Fran killed me on that one. <laughs> I did remember North Texas. Yes. It's kind of sad for UTSA. They didn't get the undefeated season, but too bad. Sorry, Roadrunners. I had North Texas. Uh, but then I've, I I didn't remember as much about the Caleb Williams, but yes, Oregon. I can't believe you took Oregon State, bro. Uh, it was, you know, look, I, I yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but We've got my time to, to get some revenge. Well, honestly, it'll start Friday night. Talking about the Ducks, uh, we're going to go through all of the big conference title games this week, and it starts Friday night. Oregon-Utah rematch. You picked or We've used this as a pick last time these two teams played against each other a few weeks back. You took Utah. I took Oregon. Utah wins that one. Interested to get your thoughts on how this one goes here in the rematch. Who do you like for our first pick of the week? Going the other way. I'm going back to Oregon. Wow. They looked awesome against Oregon State, it's almost like they got the college football playoff pressure or monkey off their back. I think they're more talented than Utah. This game will be in Vegas. It won't be in Salt Lake City. Mm. Uh, that makes a difference. Oregon's the better team. I just knew that they were going to lose that game because of the spot they were in. I'm going to go Utah here. So we're going to flip-flop on this on this game uh, just a few weeks apart. I'm going to go Utah. Look, to be honest, I need to go opposite you on a couple of these here to try and make up some ground. Uh, I love, I do love the Utes. I love what Whittingham has consistently done over the course of his career there. Uh, while I love Mario Cristobal and the Ducks, um, look, I, maybe Utah's got their number. Uh, I I'll take Utah here uh, over Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Let's go to our next pick -em. This time in the ACC title. This going to Saturday afternoon. Pitt against Wake Forest. So the ex exactly the matchup all of us uh, had envisioned going into this season for the ACC title. Who do you like here between the Panthers and the Deeks? Um, I will go with... Man, I've gone back and forth on this yeah, three times. I'm going to go Wake Forest. Nice. Why? I saw them in person. I think they have a really good team. Their defense concerns me. Yep. Uh, Kenny Pickett's played so well. But I want to give you a chance to catch up to me because I know you're going to take Pitt. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm taking you. Wake. I'm taking Wake here in this one. Uh, dude, the, the, the offense is really good. And I've got a lot of faith in Narduzzi. I think it's a really well-coached defense. they got a bunch of guys going to the Senior Bowl again. Uh, obviously, you're talking about Kenny Pickett and the young talent they've got on offense. But uh, I, I, I don't think Wake Forest was a fluke with what they did this season. I know it's been a little bit of a rough stretch over these last couple of weeks. But uh, I really like the way that they have played for the majority of this season. That offense is tough to prepare for. Uh, give me the Deeks here. Well, I'll go on the same side with you uh, on this ACC title. Let's now go to the SEC title game where we've got Alabama and Georgia, and this one's going to be our over-under. And the over-under number I am setting is 70 and a half, and that is going to stand for the amount of receiving yards for Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams. Now, that may seem like a low number, 
But we have to remember that Jamison Williams was ejected from last week's game in the Iron Bowl against Auburn for targeting on special teams. So he's going to miss the first half. He has been a dynamite weapon for this Alabama passing game. Will he surpass 70 and a half yards in the second half of this game against that vaunted Georgia defense? No, definitely not. Wow. Now, listen, I think that I think it's going to be a competitive game. I don't think they're going to be in scramble mode, throwing it all over the place. That's a lot for one half. It is. It is. And George will have a good plan under. I'm going to take the over. Uh, dude, he is so explosive. I and mean, he might, he, he's not going to get all of it in one play. I'm not going to go that far and say he's going to have that kind of explosive play against this defense, but he certainly as well could. I mean, he is so explosive. He's a, a long strider in the open field. Uh, Bryce Young and him, apparently they seem to have a really, really good connection at all three levels, especially those intermediate throws, those uh, deep crossers. Uh, Williams has been a dynamite playmaker for them. Look, I really like John Mechie on the other side, and uh, Mechie's been really good for them. He was really good last week. He got my game ball earlier this week here on the show. Uh, but Jamison Williams has been dynamic. I'm going to take the over here, go opposite with you uh, on that one. Let's now go uh, to the Big 12 title Oklahoma State and Baylor this one's going to be an either or we're going to take a look at two of the leading receivers here in the Big 12 you've got the senior from Oklahoma State Tay Martin who's going to this to the uh, the Shrine Bowl does he have more receiving yards in this game or you go to Baylor and you go to Tyquan Thornton on that side who has more receiving yards Tyquan Thornton for Baylor or Tay Martin from Oklahoma State yeah I'm going to go Tay Martin um I think he's a stud, number one. Number two, I think Oklahoma State's defense is really good. I think they're going to win the game, Mm. and I'm going with Tay Martin. Let's not sleep on the Baylor defense and and Dave Aranda and what they've been able to do. Uh, Look, I I like Ty Thornton. Uh, This is a guy that I studied for the last couple of years. Uh, I was put on to him by the members of that staff when he first got there, and he really reminded me of Robbie Anderson, a guy that that staff, that Matt Rule staff, when they had him at Temple, they recruited Thornton and said he's got a lot of the same traits. He's got that same ability to be that big play threat. I'm going to go Tyquan Thornton here uh, with his uh, his receiving total against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Let's now go to our high-low here. Which number is higher going to the Big Ten title, Michigan and Iowa? Which number is higher? Hassan Haskins, the running back who scored five touchdowns against Ohio State last week. Total touchdowns for Hassan Haskins or forced turnovers by that Iowa defense, which was on fire early this season. Which number do you like more here in this game? I'm going to go Haskins touchdowns. I I think Michigan's going to really run the football. I don't think they're going to have a lot of turnovers. I think Haskins scores two or three touchdowns potentially. I'll go Haskins touchdowns. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you on this one too. I think and, and McNamara's done a nice job of taking care of the football at quarterback there uh, for Michigan. Uh, Haskins has been running it well, and that defense. Um, look, while they have been creating turnovers at an extremely high rate, I do think that Michigan uh, will be able to finish the deal, finish the job here, uh, and come away with the win. Tough to do that if they lose the turnover battle. So I, I do like Michigan here uh, in this game, Ross. Upset special, and this is big, and I'm going to let you go first here. There's only a few games that really this can apply to when we talk about our upset special. Uh, so slim pickings here, but who's your upset special? Who do you like to win uh, in, a, in a big deficit this week? You know, it is slim pickings, but I did consider Alabama. I considered Iowa, and I considered the Houston Cougars. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I'm going to take Alabama. I yeah, I thought you were going to go that way. I'm going to take Alabama, and I'm going to do that because I think Nick Saban's a better coach than Kirby Smart, and Georgia has a 
huge monkey on their back. It's like they have an inferiority complex. I was at the game a few years ago where they should have won from sophomore year. They totally blew it. There's just a mental hurdle for the Bulldogs. Look, I still think they're going to win, but I think it's more likely Alabama beats them than Iowa beats Michigan or Houston beats Cincinnati. Although I kind of like this Houston team. Logan Hall, Marcus Jones, they got some guys on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going Bama. So if you did not take Bama, I would have taken Bama. Um, I still like Georgia to win the game, but all the reasons I, you know, I feel better saying oh, I, I'm going to root for Nick Saban to win this game, uh, just in, in general purposes. But I can't go on the same side of you because I need to make up so much ground. So, and I hate doing this, Ross, because of what it means. I'm going to pick Houston to upset Cincinnati, and I would no. hate it. I know because it would mean Cincinnati's not in the playoff. You would root. Everyone's kind of rooting for Cincinnati as that Group of Five school to make it into the Final Four. But I will take Houston. They've got they've got players on defense. Dana Holgerson's got that offense humming. Uh, they've got players on that side of the football as well. Cincinnati, you know, obviously with the, with the different coaching openings, and is Luke Fickle going to stay or go? You know, there's like a little bit of the off field distraction there as well, in terms of the prep leading up to this game, uh, all the playoff talk. Cincinnati has handled success so so well, but maybe this is the tipping point. Uh, I'm going to take Houston here in the AAC title uh, for the upset because I, I I need these points uh, going up against you, man. Love it. Um, I I look, I can see that happening. Houston's got a really good team. They're very deep. Their talent. I just did their game Saturday against UConn, and Cincinnati's got a lot of pressure on them. They're yeah, so they close. You know, all, uh, the, all these teams, man, there's a lot of pressure on Michigan and Georgia and Cincinnati. It's going to be a fun day. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe I'm just taking the same logic you used last week with uh, UTSA. It's really hard to run the table uh, in college football. Obviously, it's Cincinnati looking to do that here on Saturday. Well, Ross, we will see, man. This is going to make or break this competition this week. Uh, it all comes down to championship Saturday. We'll be, uh, we'll be talking trash through text. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Sounds great, man. So great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennel, Eric Galco, and Eric Crocker. Thanks so much to all those guys. And thanks to all of you out there for your support of this podcast. Again, we will be back early next week. Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel, breaking down everything we see from championship Saturday until then. We'll see you next time right here on the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.